Sometimes we will read biblical stories or accounts and we don't necessarily, like we'll be reading them for understanding or for knowledge, uh, but we don't maybe always put ourselves within the context of the story to where we're like, all right, well, hey, what would, what would happen if, if uh, I was there, if God spoke this to me, if I could just have a hair bit of monitor, this is probably where you always have it, but I'm on antibiotics for a bunch of different stuff that aren't contagious, so, but that's why well, I'm still elbow bumping, but my head, it might be my own echo in my head, but if you could give me a little more monitor that, up here, that'd be wonderful, but we sometimes don't have the, the context of, okay, I'm in this story, and, and I want to see, what would I do in this circumstance or situation, but I want to just go through one chapter of the Bible today, and while we do this, I want you to go, what would I do? What would this look like in my life if this happened, if this didn't happen, if God spoke this to me? And so it's just one chapter in the, the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, and it's really the account of Paul and Silas. It starts in verse 6. It says, next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. That's where this story starts. And today I want to speak on this topic, trial to testimony. Trial to testimony. Would you pray with me and not just listen to me, but you pray with me. Let's pray together because we need God to speak to us. Jesus, we love you. You are so amazing, so so glorious and wonderful. Words in our language can't, we can't string sentences enough together to, to really capture how incredible you are. But God, we love you and we are here to hear from you. God, so speak to our hearts and minds. Lord Jesus, give me physical and ability and strength, but let our hearts and minds be open because if, if we just look at a story and we don't actually take it in and go, God, speak to the very depth of my soul, then Lord, there's, there's no good in this, but your word's so powerful and alive that can change us and challenge us and touch us if we allow it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it, it's so interesting because right off the bat, if you're going, we're traveling and the Holy Spirit prevented them. Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? When does the Holy Spirit prevent you from preaching the gospel? Aren't we just supposed to preach the gospel to everybody and teach all nations? And it's always God's will. Let's just go do it. But scripture says it prevented them from preaching the gospel in a certain location. Now, that's, that's interesting. When it comes to the plan of God, it will not, and I've talked about this, anybody that is desiring, you feel a call to ministry. How does ministry work? Ministry development. How do we know if I'm called to vocational, full-time ministry, ministerial license, all this? I took an entire lesson on Wednesday night, and we looked through all of that. So I really encourage you to go back and listen or watch that lesson if you were ministering in another location, sick, or um, just decided Wednesday night you were going to sleep or something. I don't know. So you'll want to go back and you want to li listen to that if, if you missed that. But when it comes to the plan of God, it will not always make perfect sense to us. God's plan includes so many things that we just don't understand. And, I, and, you know, people will sometimes come to me because I know, hey, I'm a pastor of the church. And so they'll say, hey, why do you think God does this? That's always a fun question to try to answer. Because I can say, well, let's look at biblical principles and see. But if there are certain things in life that if somebody says, why would God not want me to preach the gospel and prevent me from preaching in this area? I don't have any idea. But we trust God and we know that his, his plan includes so many different things that we just don't understand. There is a spiritual realm. There's a physical realm. There's spiritual warfare. There's timing in society and culture in whom, where we are working and teaching. There's also timing in our lives and whether we're ready for ministry or not. So there's so many different components that sometimes we go... There's a need. I'm a desiring person. I'll go do it. Why in the world wouldn't I? 
But God's going, hang on, there's spiritual warfare in that area. There's a spiritual climate there. There's things you don't fully understand. There's things I'm getting ready in that area. There are things I'm getting ready in people's hearts in that area. There's things I'm getting ready in you. And so sometimes we will go, but I'm ready, and we feel ready. But maybe the area's not ready. Maybe the ears aren't ready. Maybe you yourself are not ready. And so we trust that God does all things well. And so he, it says, verse 7, then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Now, what in the world? There it is again. You got willing vessels that are going, there's a need. Doesn't the whole world need the gospel? You ascended to heaven, said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, discipling them. What, am, what is going on? Now I'm willing to go. You prevented me from going there. Now you prevented me from going here. What do you do if you're this believer that's wanting to make a difference? Are you not going, why? What is going on here? But he had a path and he had a plan and he had timing. And ministry development is all about timing of God's process. So instead... They went through Mysia to the sea port of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, going, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Now, this is interesting. Are they in the will of God? I would think so. But they leave and head to their next destination because they have this dream of this man pleading with them to come help them. And I preached about this earlier this week. Notice the wording of this dream, though. God did not, God, it does not say, and God spoke to them and they received this dream, it says. And scripture says Paul concluded that God was calling him there. Does that mean that they missed the will of God? I, I would not say that. But so much about ministry, calling and process, is walking through doors when they are open and trying not to break down doors that are closed. I know that we want something more powerful than that. Like, no, I want to be like Moses on the cleft of the rock. I want to see a bush burning that's not consumed. I want some of those supernatural times where God lines up 12 different people of the church and he goes, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one. Is there nobody else here? Oh yeah, they're just outside right now. We'll bring them in. And the church goes, that's the one. Oh, and the heavens open up and a light shines down in that person, kind of like Paul's calling. Like These are the things we want. But that does happen, but it's rare. And so, so much about ministry development is, hey, the door's open. My heart is feeling this call to go. I'm going to walk through. And once the door closed, I'm not going to. I want to go to that place. I want to step into this role. I'll sit tight. God might be calling you to sit and serve for a while. And when it's time to go, that door will open. He'll make it clear. We boarded a boat, he says, at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi. Sounds like quite the time of travel. And Southwest wasn't around at that time. Okay, bags didn't fly free. Like you had to jump from this place to this place and try and find somebody who's heading that way and purchase them and get on there or help them with the, the, the work of the boat or whatever it is. This is not, it's not like they could just jump on an app and use their frequent flyer miles to go from one place to the next. Yeah, we boarded here, sailed over here, jumped on this place, then we reached this point in, in a major city of 
Macedonia in a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. I mean, imagine now you're going, all right, God told us not to go here. God told us not to go here. So we got a dream. I think we're supposed to go here because I feel like God sent us this dream. So we're going to go over here now. And then when we get there, we're just going to hang out for a few days. What's the plan? God's going to make it clear. Sounds fun. On the Sabbath, we went a little outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. I wonder at this point if they're questioning each other. Bro, didn't you say there was a guy standing up in your dream? And we're at a ladies' prayer meeting. I mean, you don't even, he's not even in the right gender, okay? But they didn't, you know, we expect like Paul's missionary journeys were a lot of God going, go. And he goes and he gets off the boat and he goes, I'm here to preach the gospel. And people line up going, yes, we've been waiting for you. But that's not what I'm seeing in this story. We jumped here, sailed here, got over here, came there, waited a couple days. We thought, you know what? I bet you that's a place where people go for a prayer meeting. We should go head over there. Again, not really much concrete. These are just men who were aiming to be led by God's spirit. Could you imagine getting on a boat or a plane, going from one place to the next, to the next without an invitation to preach at a conference? You haven't even been invited like, hey, can you come lead this prayer? I've heard a lot about you guys. You've got great prayer there in Liberty. And oh, you're, I heard you're a wonderful speaker. You're great at leading worship. Will you come be the worship leader of this conference that we have up and coming? But no, nothing's set in stone. It's just I love this gospel message so much, and it changed my life. And I look around in different continents and countries and, and areas and, and islands, and they need Jesus. And so for me, we got to go somewhere, God. God, where do you want me to go? And so he comes to this lady's prayer meeting, and one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. And as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she says, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. And one day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. So look back at that. Because I would stop and say, man, I'm starting to see a pattern here. That something happens when we regularly go to a place of prayer. Now, this happened already twice in this chapter. They were looking for prayer meetings. So I'll just stop and say, if you want powerful ministry, look for prayer meetings and not pulpits. I said Wednesday night, I wanted the youth to hear some of the things I was saying, so I figured I'll just hit them a little real quick a few times right now while they're up here. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, this, this, this young lady, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. That's pretty convenient when people that are used not by the Spirit of God have to actually bow down and worship. They don't even have to say it themselves that this young lady felt something in the spiritual world so strong that she starts marketing for them. This went on day after day till Paul got so exasperated. Again, I don't see. And God spoke to Paul. Now, I'm not saying he's not walking, but this is what it looks like to be spirit-led, to be led by God's spirit. This is not in his flesh, but it's not always God, God leading this. And like, we're, we're sitting here sometimes going, God, I just want you to open a door for me. Sometimes he's going, I want you to open a door for yourself, meaning go look for somebody, go reach something, yeah. go talk to someone. Right. 
And so here he is, he's going, all right, well, well, Paul, he finally gets so exasperated and he turns and says to the demon within her, he recognizes the spiritual realm. He's a discerning of spirits here. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and it instantly left her. Wow. Again, he just got to the point where I think she's out there marketing from these guys are children of the most high God. They're going to tell you what to do to be saved. At some point, they're probably like, cool. Thanks for letting them. Thanks for making me aware. Thanks for letting everybody know. But she's following them to the point where he just says, enough. Be gone. And the demon leaves. But even the spiritual realm had to recognize who the true power was. And the whole city, so her master's hopes of wealth are now shattered. Because remember, scripture says, she earned them a lot of money. So they're not exactly going, wow, this is really powerful. I'm excited about this. They're going, we are now going to, we, we just lost a huge revenue stream. And so they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. Sounds like pretty public. And the whole city's in an uproar because of these Jews. So they shout to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly forms against Paul and Silas. Why? Because culture is always going to be able to find a mob that will disagree with truth. Say that again. Culture will always have an easy time forming a mob against truth. <clears throat> so, the mob quickly joins around them. They're stripped and beaten with wooden rods. I wish I could be like the apostles. Really? I hear people say that. Oh, I wish I could walk in the time of the apostles. I'm kind of happy where I'm at. Yeah, pull them to a public place, strip them down, and take wooden rods and beat them. Now, where we are, it says so they're severely beaten, thrown into a prison. The jailer orders them to make sure that they don't escape. The jailer put them in an inner dungeon. That doesn't sound like just the, the room with the view. Sounds like the inner, deepest, darkest place, damp, smelly. And clamp their feet in stocks. So there's Paul and Silas. Don't know if they got their clothes back yet. I imagine it feet and stocks kind of like this. Dude. Bro, what happened to your face, man? I mean, they were just beat with wooden rods. They're probably bloody, bruised, swollen. Feet are in stocks. Don't know if they got their clothes back yet. I wonder if Silas goes, bro, are you sure that dream was from God? We chuckle. But there's going to be times when you respond to ministry. And you're going to go, my Lord, did I miss it somewhere? This is not what I dreamt. I dreamt of a man needing Jesus. And that's why I went. I dreamt of children crying out to God. I dreamt of leading people in worship. I dreamt of evangelizing. I dreamt of pastoring. I dreamt of teaching. I dreamt of working with youth. I didn't dream about this part. I didn't dream that there would be people after a great miracle. Could you imagine the highs and the lows? Sometimes in ministry, you have highs and lows. Wow, I just preached and this many people got the Holy Ghost. This is incredible. God is so good. And sometimes before you even get to go and enjoy dinner, somebody says, we have an issue. And sometimes you're like, man, can we... I just want to enjoy dinner and rejoice in what God just did first. It 
See, we think Chad and Tiffany just get to take the kids to convention and conference and Congress. Man, that's fun. That sounds like a good gig. But there's a whole bunch of stuff they're dealing with that not a lot of us know, even though they're great, incredible young people here. But their issues that some of you go, well, I wish I had those issues. My issues are bigger. No, to them, the issues they have are huge. They're big things. They are, and they are. They're dealing with some things that we can say, well, that's kid issues. I have adult issues. No, they're dealing with things that we never had to deal with in school. Lots of respect for you guys. But who do they go to? A great man and woman of God right there. That no doubt that when they've responded to youth ministry, it probably, there's probably been a, just a couple of things that maybe didn't look like they thought it would look when they started. But I use them just as a random example. But anybody that steps into anything, when you have the dream, the dream sometimes is what God's called you to do. But the things along the way, when your feet are in stocks and you've been stripped in a public place and beat with wooden rods and thrown in prison going, Lord, what in the world is going on? All I wanted to do was respond to your call. I just wanted to take this gospel message to somebody. We just cast out a devil of a girl. You did great things. Why would you take us here? Now, I would like to think we're all super spiritual, and we would never ask God why. But from what I can see in Scripture, there's no sin in asking God why. Some of the greatest men and women of God asked God why, but they did not walk away and refuse to serve him. There were times that they said, why? Jesus Christ himself was on the cross and said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Asking why is not a sin, but ultimately we have to say, but not my will, but thy will be done. And so, here they are. And around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Just stop there. What in the world is going on with these guys? I would like to think, yes, folks, as a pastor, I would be doing the exact same thing. But if I just went somewhere and went from place to place to place and, and jumped on ship to ship to ship and got to my place and went and waited a couple days and went to a prayer meeting, then had some annoying girl following me around going, ah, 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 and I finally said, come out from among her. And I would be like, yeah, look at that. Woo! And then I get dragged to a public market, stripped down, beat with rods, thrown in the deepest, darkest dungeon of the prison, and I'm all bloody and swollen and bruised and cold. There's a slight chance I might not go, hey, bro, you ready for worship service? What's that song that we sing? I can't sing here. There's no, there's no confidence monitor. We don't have any instruments, Paul. Our seats aren't padded here. We don't have the rest of the congregation. No, it's not about that. This is the time we're praying. This is the time where we pray and we sing. Because our prayer and our worship have never been dictated in our situation. If anybody had a great argument to skip prayer and worship, probably was them right here. This is what we get. This is, this is the response to ministry. Count me out. And I don't think, I mean, imagine getting beat with wooden rods. Again, I'm saying put yourself in the story. Just simply singing a song, there was a sacrifice. Imagine someone taking a rod and smacking it across your face or into your midsection. Maybe they had broken ribs. 
And imagine good singers, you sing from the diaphragm. Imagine trying to sing as you were just beat that morning. I can't even stand. My feet are in stocks. But Lord, you're worthy of my highest praise. And no doubt the other prisoners are probably going, shh, shh. Are those the new guys they just brought in here today? Stop. Are they singing? Because I'm sure that does not happen a lot in prison. And they're going, singing are they praying if your god is that powerful why are you praying to a god that that can't even get you out of prison and every time they sing i just imagine them going lord you're worthy maybe they were hit right here oh my highest praise i can't open my jaw man they got me good today But God, Lord, I just praise you. Lord, I worship you. God, thank you for the opportunity to be counted worthy of this calling. What? Let's keep singing. Let's keep praying. Prisoners are listening in. Why? Because the people around you They want to see one of the greatest things you can offer this world is not to just be blessed, but to show the world how to worship when it does not appear that you are blessed. People are watching you to see how will you respond when something is not going your way. When something, when they've just beat you, stripped you, thrown you in prison, can you still sing a song of worship? And so it's all, they're just listening, and they're praying, and they're worshiping, and the next word suddenly comes on. I love the word suddenly. There was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword because he knew this was going to happen anyway. It's his responsibility. Drew his sword to kill himself, and Paul shouts, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. Now, I want to know how he imagined, how did he manage to keep the other prisoners there? Why? Because you gain influence with those around you, even when they're not believers, when you can worship through a storm. When you can worship through a trial. And so... They instantly, to gain that level of influence where he could keep the prisoners in their places with open doors and no chains, that is one of the most amazing, truthfully, one of the most amazing miracles of the Bible. When you really break it down. The jailer called for lights, ran to the dungeon, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he said to him, sirs, What must I do to be saved? Could this be the man that Paul saw in his vision? Could this be the guy that Paul saw in his vision? But if God gives you the whole vision and says, I'm going to have you get some travel difficulties. I'm going to take you to the middle of the city. They're going to strip you down, beat you with rods. You're going to go to a prison, be shackled down, and then... God doesn't give us the whole vision for a reason. He gives you what you're prepared for to get you to the next step, to go through the next open door. And when you do that, he goes, okay, I got a story. 
You got to trust me, though. Here's what my challenge is to you. He says, I want you to walk by faith and not by sight, not by what you see. And so he says, here you go. And so I'm going, man, I wonder if the jailer was the man in the, in the dream. But in order for God to accomplish his calling in your life, he has to take you through some things where, man, your physical body might even get beat down a little bit. Might go into some trials, into some dark places. But he's always with you. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And based on their ability to worship in a prison, to worship in a trial, he gained the, the respect of all the people around him. But it actually opened the door for someone's desire for salvation is a direct correlation to the way the people of God responded in a trial. And they replied, you believe on the Lord. And that's where sometimes they just believe and you're saved. But notice it says, believe in the Lord and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. But that's not where it stops. It says they shared the word of the Lord with him and all the lives in his household. And even at that hour of the night, it's late. This does not sound like a delayed Bible study. This was like a, hey, what do I need to do? Come to the house? It's, 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 this sounds like it was one continuous story. It's nighttime. That's why when people say baptism Sunday, great, go do baptism Sunday in churches. I don't see any delayed baptisms in scripture. There's water, what hinders me? Hey, anytime you're here today and God's dealing with you, the water right now is clean and warm. Why take any other moments of time to consider that? And so he brought them, he says, so he says, uh, uh, believe in your on the Lord, shared the word of the Lord with them, and all who lived in the household, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds, which again shows the proof of the picture I've been painting, that they were sitting in that prison cell as damaged in their body. It's not like they took one, no, these, these guys, it was painful for them to sing that night. There are going to be times that you try to worship Jesus in the middle of your trial, and it's going to be painful for the flesh. It's going to be painful for your body to go, Lord, this hurts me. I'm agonizing right now. But God, I make a choice to give you the praise and the worship that you are worthy and deserving of. And he binds their wounds, and he and everyone in his house were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before him. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to the jailer saying, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. <laughs> Probably not the way the dream went. Ask Joseph about that. There's so many things to learn from this story, but I point out three as I move on. Number one, pursue God in prayer, and you will be spirit-led. We saw it three times. Pursue God in prayer, and you'll be spirit-led. Don't ever get to the point like some people get to where they pursue ministry instead of God. Pursue God in prayer. Ministry is the natural overflow of a healthy relationship with God. Number two, don't let your circumstance dictate your worship. If God's truly in control, he's always worthy of worship. And three, trust the process. When God calls you into a life of ministry, the road will not lead where you think it should. The timing is not according to your logic. And the trials sometimes mount as God prepares you. But I think about the passages like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. I think of Psalm 37. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights, he delights in every detail 
of their lives. For a detail-oriented guy like myself that writes long emails, that makes me happy. I'm glad the leadership team didn't say amen. Though they stumble, he doesn't expect perfection. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. What an incredible picture. That God cares about every detail of my life. And when I stumble, he goes, hang on. I got you. I got you. I know that it, even though I say, imagine yourself as Paul and Silas, that sometimes is difficult. So I want to spend just the last bit of this message bringing in some real life stories on how trial can turn to testimony even in modern day. You know, and I'll try not to speak too long, but it was around, many of you know this story, but for those who don't, just a quick synopsis. If it wasn't for the trial, for what it's worth, some of you might be happy about this, some of you might not be, but if it wasn't for the trial, the dorm box, we, our family, we wouldn't be here. I said on Wednesday, I, I didn't even know if the, Kansas, the difference between Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas. I came with two t-shirts of Mizzou and KU, and I quickly went, you can't do that. I'm still bucking the system, though. I cheered for both yesterday, but it's not my fault. Sore subject yet. Is this too soon? Should we cover this later? Sorry. But it was 2009. My wife had just quit her job. We had just had Kiara. She's just a couple months old. Just bought our first house working for the same company. Great company. Paid vacations, paid cash bonuses, company car, laptop, cell phone, uh, make your own schedule. Wonderful. Evangelizing a little bit, kind of dabbling in ministry, knowing, hey, we're going to go there eventually. But I'm only 20, 27, 28 years old. She's like 23. You know, we're, we got time. So we're just enjoying this night. It's starting to, you know, build a little bit of things, get our house, get that remodel. We're doing all this stuff. And in that weekend, I preached a message at a youth revival weekend that I was the speaker at. And I, my last message that Sunday night was, I am, how the, God is the I am, and whatever he says, he's going to provide, he's going to do this. The next morning, I'll never forget, we're leaving the hotel, she's carrying Kiara in the, in the, in the car seat, I'm pulling out the, the suitcase, and I get a call, and I take it, and I'm carrying like this, and I go, hey, how's it going? My boss says, hey, I just want to let you know some unfortunate news, we just sold the company. I said, as of when? He goes, Wednesday. I said, so I'm unemployed. My wife's unemployed. We just bought our house, just had our baby. And, and we neither, none of us have jobs in less than 48 hours? Yeah, sorry. That also means we don't have the car, the cell phone, the gas card, the computer, all the other things either? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Man, that I am message was so much easier to preach than it is to live. Preaching is easy. Living is hard. I can get up and share. I will typically tell you that usually when I preach, God has already preached this to me before I'm preaching it to you. He's already taken me through some of these things to where I go, Oh, this one here was a tough one. Let me tell you about it. So that's why if you're looking for the perfect preacher that mastered all these things, goodness, guys, I'm sorry. I'm not that person. But I've gone through some of this stuff where I go, hey, this is what God's been preaching to me. Let me share it with you. And it was only then that God opened the door through it. I could share all the details, but it was only then that God opened the door from one thing to another to move us from Oak Creek, Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, to Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm thankful to be in Missouri. I've learned that much. It's not a knock if you live in Kansas. I'm just, I like Missouri, so. But that, but I still haven't understood, though, because I feel like KU is closer than Mizzou, but that, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. I don't know. But that, God, all these things that he did that does not happen 
without the trial. Sister Teresa said I could share this story. She starts telling me how, yeah, you know, she, years and years ago, she actually went to a church with Sister Rita. But she had been unchurched, not going anywhere for a number of years, was looking for a church, didn't feel one where she really connected to and loved it, just tried a number of them. And God, the way he does things. Her cousin comes from a visit for, for a visit from Wyoming. Wyoming. And says, Teresa, I want to go to a church. She said, well, I've been trying, looking for some churches. And she goes, no, no, I want to go to a church from a lady who lives in your area. She pastors. I buy clothes from her. <laughs> now, we think when somebody does a business and stuff, oh, it's just a little extra cash flow trying to do some things. No, no. When God says, when you says, no, the steps of a righteous man are in order to the Lord, God says, I'm going to use everything for my glory. You don't have like a God part and then a secular part and then a family part and then like a professional part. Like, no, God is Lord overall or not at all. And so even that, she says, well, where are they at? So they look it up and they find out from her lives and different things that they're going to go try this church called Refuge Church where the owner of King's Daughter Boutique is the pastor's wife. Well, since that time, we just never lost her. And Sister Teresa is here because her cousin said, we got to go to a church where the boutique owner pastors with her husband. God does all things perfectly well. We went a few weeks ago, and we were at regional camp meeting. Now, for those of you that don't know anything about this, and i got to keep these stories rolling because I want, I want you to hear one other one. But this is the kind of stuff, sometimes we look in scripture, we go, oh, that's interesting, but then they, I want you to hear real life, 21st century. We went to regional camp meeting, and I don't know if anyone has heard this, many of you probably have, but obviously Titus, our youngest son, is a type 1 diabetic. Well, that's been a trial, believe me, and I'll try not to get emotional, that's been a trial, like any of you that have dealt with health issues and things. Major trial. But in addition to the trial, we're already trying to navigate since he's been three. It's been over four years. We recently find out a couple months ago that he's one of like seven Americans that is now allergic to insulin. That's where you go. God, are you serious right now? I mean, are you for real? The first thing was tough enough. Now we got to try to sing the song of worship in the trial. Felt a little beat down again. Got to learn to pray in the trial. So they say, well, there's this one thing where a lady out of Canada, they flew in a German doctor to do a surgery because it's, it's, it's not authorized here, but they can put a port inside and cut you open and put all this stuff, and, and then it comes to the surface so that the insulin goes into the port and all this stuff. Well, you got to fly in a German doctor, and oh, that port is discontinued now. All right? Well, we can start taking him into the, to the uh, doctor, uh, immun immunologist, and start to try to work through that. Or there's this inhalable insulin that's not FDA approved for children. But what do you do? So we say, well, we got to try that. So he goes in, got to make sure his lungs don't close when he breathes it in. So she's got to go in as a nervous mom. And she's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to give this to you, Jesus. We're going to go in here where if something happens, they're here. So we've been trying to navigate that course. And it's been choppy a little bit. We're getting there. But we go to regional camp meeting a few weeks ago, and it is probably the worst day that we've had since we've had this insulin. Normally, if you know your blood sugar, it should be in range of like 70 to 130. When Titus was diagnosed, he was over 1,000. Well, normally you'll have some highs and lows. Your body, you want to talk about a divine creator. Your pancreas works in such an incredible way. The minute you eat food, it releases the insulin, carries it where it needs to go. You don't have the extreme highs and lows. Thank God when your body parts do what he created them to do. His pancreas is dead. It's not type 2 where he could just eat different and exercise. People mistake that, and I did too until I had this, until I, we went and we dealt with this. 
It's an autoimmune disease. It's dead. It will never work again unless Jesus intervenes, which we believe he will at some point. But this day, he was 400 down to 40, up to 400. We just, I mean, it just was all over. He's feeling horrible. We're trying to, and you, we're doing everything we know to do, but this insulin was different. It's just doing all this stuff. So then she gets him, you know, she gives him some stuff. He gets him stable, and then we go to take him back to children's ministry, the service that they had on that Friday night. And then he, he drops back down, and he feels horrible. So then she gives him something, gets him back, and then he skyrockets. So she says, I'm going to take him to the gym because activity helps. So he's running around the gym doing this stuff, gets him back like this, and he starts to drop again. It was just insane. So she finally texts me in the service and says, I'm just going to stay with him in children's ministry service tonight. Maybe God has something for me here. And I'm like, I'm not even focused on the service. I'm worried about my kid. I'm worried about my wife. This is just, honestly, sometimes I just tell God, I go, God, I hate diabetes. I hate it. Sometimes, my, sometimes it doesn't sound like the song of worship. We try, but sometimes I just say, God, I hate diabetes. And people will say, God can heal him. And I'll say, boy, do I know that. And when he's ready, I am ready. Like some of you dealing with health issues. I know, we, we know that. But that night, all of a sudden, Jackie texts me and says, tell Kevin and Leslie to come down here quick. Okay, is everything okay? Yeah, Carson's just praying. Okay. So they take off. And I'm frustrated. I'm trying to focus on the service. And instantly, I felt God lay on my heart that she's praying with Carson. So they come down. Carson's beaming. He just got the Holy Ghost. And I looked at Jackie and I said, Jackie, did you pray with Carson? She's like, yeah, several times. I kept stopping him and giving him instructions because he was struggling a little bit. And she's like, but eventually he just let go and God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And for me, guess what happened? The moment service ended. Titus' blood sugar went completely stable. It was God going, I know this is a trial, but I've moved my people where I want them to accomplish what I need to accomplish. And sometimes we go, God, I hate that. But when you walk by faith and not by sight, you say, this is not my own body. This is not my own situation. This is not my own calling. God, if I'm truly a servant of the king, then use my life wherever you need to use my life to accomplish the things that you need to accomplish. I can assure you that Paul and Silas probably not were going, man, this is a great prison. This is beautiful. I love the dripping walls. It's freezing in here. You know, it's kind of refreshing. No, they were beat. They were bloody. They were bruised. It was hurting, but they said, it's the sacrifice of praise, and the enemy's not going to take my testimony. The enemy's not going to take my praise. The enemy's not going to take my prayer. And that's not to give glory to Jackie because God's the one that fills with the Spirit. But God uses the laying on of hands. God uses instruction. God uses teaching. And he knew for whatever reason that the only way, literally the only way that I could imagine that God's going to get her there praying with Carson that night is for her son's blood sugar to be out of control. And at this point, I want Sister Tiffany to come. Because she's got a really neat story that we're going to wrap up with here today. In 2009, I was a nursing student, a senior nursing student in California. And I was a lucky pick to be with one of the most dreaded clinical instructors. <laughs> Nobody wanted to go with her. She was very hard on us, very difficult, and I drew a lucky slot. So I was kind of grumpy. I get to go to this hospital that was pretty deep into the city and honestly just a little bit scary. And I was kind of cranky this day. 
And when I got there, I was paired up with my nurse preceptor who was going to train me to be a nurse through the day. She was very kind, very caring. And I hear you're listening right now, Nancy. So praise the Lord. I'm so glad to hear you're listening. And it was a crazy day. She was having a hectic day. We had three patients more than we should have had. And she was so kind, though, and taught me how to be a nurse. Um, But the last six hours of our 12-hour shift, she also gave me the privilege of her friendship. And I could tell that she was having a hard day, and I assumed it was our patient load. Um, But I kept seeing her step out on her personal phone and coming back, and she would wipe away tears. And finally, I just asked her, are you okay? You know, is there anything you want to talk about? And she said, yeah, I'm okay. But my sister Becky is going through a lot right now. And she is in and out of drug rehab. And her family is a mess. And she said, I'm just so overwhelmed. I've tried praying, and I'm just so overwhelmed. So our day continues. She continues to get the calls. She continues to be crying and upset. And we were at the nurse's station finishing the shift, and I just felt pray with her. And so I just asked her, could we pray together for your sister? And she said, yeah, let's do that. Instantly, I could feel God And we prayed just a simple prayer. And really, we didn't have a suddenly moment where, you know, the prison cells opened. It was just a simple prayer. And the next Sunday, I went to church, and I saw Nancy there. And 2013, nothing changed. But 2013, God changed where Chad and I lived. And we got to move here from California to Missouri. And when we got here, it was maybe six months in. And I had had the privilege of meeting all of you and getting to love all of you. And I see Nancy walk through the doors at Refuge Church. And I said, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm visiting my sister, Becky. And I said, Becky? That Becky? And she said, yeah, Becky Tussing. And Becky Tussing, before we moved here, God had his hand on her life. And she came right when we came to this service. You just never know what God is doing. You just never know whose life you are touching through prayer because he sees and he knows and he treasures every single one of us. And now through the beauty of video games, I get to hear her babies, her grandbabies in my home on a daily basis talking loudly to my son who now is one of their very best friends. And he has bonded us in our spirits and in our hearts. And I'm so thankful that he hears our prayers and he knows exactly where we are. Wow. God will literally reach in California and say, pray for my sister, who you're actually going to live next to. You just don't know it yet. Because God does all things well and he, he, he runs our story. But then she moves here and here she is. And just a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of now baptizing her grandson, Brayden. And God is now working on multiple generations of a family that started with some prayers. And I'm thankful Craig and Becky and Brayden and Gabe. And I'm thankful their whole family's here. We love them and God does all things well. The trial becomes a testimony when God's in control. And you can stand to your feet. How often is God allowing things in our lives to either try to mold or shape something in us or using our life in our current situation to accomplish something in his kingdom? Are you willing Are you willing to come to an altar today and put your life on an altar and say, this is a living sacrifice? God, my prayer today is not just bless me.
with temporary, monetary, physical blessing. But God, if you can do something in me to prepare me, or if you can use my life that's going to further your kingdom, whatever you choose to do with this vessel, that's a scary prayer, isn't it? But God, whatever you choose to do with this vessel, I give it to you. God's will is going to be done. We will either curse curse the situation and be bitter. Stay with me, I'm almost done. God's will is going to be done. We will either curse the situation and be bitter. Or we will choose to embrace it and see his hand. I read a great post from a lady named Kimberly Henderson of Proverbs 31 Ministries. And I feel this sometimes as a pastor. I've seen some of us struggle with health and some of us struggle even through the stewardship campaign. And I'm like, I want to help. I want to do this. I want to do this. But God is developing things. She says, I would have pulled Joseph out, out of the pit out of that prison, out of that pain. I would have cheated nations out of the one that God was going to use to deliver them from famine. I would have pulled David out, out of Saul's spear-throwing presence, out of the caves that he hid away in, out of the pain of rejection. And I would have cheated Israel out of a God-hearted king. I would have pulled Esther out, out of being snatched from her family, out of being placed in a position that she never asked for, out of a path of a vicious, power-hungry foe. And I would have cheated a people out of the woman of God that God was going to use to save their very lives. I would have pulled Jesus off that cross, off the road that led to the suffering and the pain, off the path that would mean nakedness, beatings, nails and thorns. And I would have cheated the whole world out of a Savior, out of salvation, out of eternity filled with no more pain and suffering. How often we want to pull each other out, change. I want to change your path, stop your pain. But I would be wrong. I would be out of line. I would be cheating you and cheating the world out of so much good because God knows. He knows the good this pain will produce. He knows the beauty that hardship grows. He's watching over you and keeping you even in the midst of this. He's promising you that you can trust him even when it feels like it's more than you can bear. So instead of trying to pull you out, I will try to lift you up. I'll pray alongside of you that God will give you the strength, that you continue to feel hope. It'll protect you and move you when his timing is right. Stay prayerful, stay discerning. I'm I'm with you, but more importantly, so is he. God has a plan. And this trial that you might be in, it turns to testimony, which is one word, suddenly. But I believe that only can happen when in the midst of the trial, you can say, God, I still offer you my praise. I still offer you my prayer. It doesn't mean there's not going to be times where you say, I hate diabetes or why. But I know you do all things well. I don't feel everything right now. I don't understand everything right now. But I know suddenly comes suddenly. And in the midst of all this, God, I praise you. God, I worship you. God, I sing songs to you even when it's painful to this physical body. I sing songs to you even when I don't understand my present situation. I sing songs to you. I lift my voice to you even when it's painful to me, God, because you are worthy. And I know that you see the beginning from the ending, Jesus. I invite you to find a place to pray. I invite you to pray a challenging prayer today. I invite you to come to this front around this altar and to lay your body on this altar and say, here's the, pr- here's the prayer I'm praying. God, I'm not praying just for my comfort level. I'm not praying just for physical blessings. I'm laying this body on the altar going as scary as this is. If a trial can further your kingdom, so be it. 
if a trial, if pain can further your plan for my life, so be it. God, I want to have eternal perspective. I want to see your hand in all things, Lord. The earth gives way. 